Hello and welcome to the Chondu Living Podcast. My name is Charlie and I'm joined by a special guest today on a special podcast, which I will introduce as the House Guests Podcast, which is a discussion with interesting personalities in Chengdu done in cooperation with the Berlin House, which is a co-working space and bar here in Chengdu. Today I'm joined by a central figure in Chengdu's expat motorcycling community who comes from the United Kingdom named Carl. Welcome. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me as your first official guest here on the, as a house guest, I believe the term is. That's exactly yeah. right. Happy to have you. Carl is someone I've known you for a couple of years. You've at least, been yeah. at least a, a really important member, perhaps the most important member, certainly a well-known WeChat personality, <laughs> since you have what must be the largest expat motorcycle group in Chengdu, which is called the Chengdu Guzzlers. That's right, yeah. I think right now we're about 370 members, something like that, and people join in all the time. Really useful group. I've met a lot of people from there. Nice community. I feel like there are not a lot of WeChat groups which really have a sense of community, but that one certainly does. Right, yeah. I think wherever you go, motorcyclists tend to kind of, you know, birds of a feather flock together type thing. Um, and yeah, motorcyclists are always kind of looking out for each other and you, you get a sense of that I think in that group. No doubt. So give us some introduction on yourself. When did you come to China? How did you get into motorcycling and how did you get into riding motorcycles around China? Right. Well, I've been in China for around six years now um, and I never really started riding motorcycles until my first time in Asia. I did spend a little bit of time on some dirt bikes when I was young, but for whatever reason, didn't really get into it. It was more into football. Um, but it was really coming to Asia. Um, and I believe the first motorcycle I ever rode was in India, down in Goa. You know, you see all the backpackers down there renting scooters, as you do wherever in Asia. And so it was from there that I really started to get into it. Um, and once I became a resident of China, I had to look into how I was going to get about the city, first of all, and also the country, you know, what, what would be the best way to see this um, huge, amazing, interesting country? Um, and the answer was on a motorcycle. No doubt. It's absolutely a unique way to experience the country. I mean, if you, on a motorcycle, I feel like you can really see the areas in between major destinations in China. Right. If you're not on a motorcycle, you know, you might come to Chengdu, Chongqing, Beijing, Shanghai, like the major cities, which many expats, many people who listen to this podcast have visited. But it's the towns and cities and roads in between those destinations that the vast majority of expats have never been to. And I feel like those are the most wild, you know, colorful adventures you can have on a motorcycle in China. Absolutely, dude. I mean, there's that older adage of it's not about the destination, but it's about the journey to get there. Um, and obviously on a motorcycle, you're absolutely exposed to everything. Um, and I think also, especially, um, you know, in, in rural China, there's something to be said for arriving in a small town on a motorcycle, which when you go to those places, that is the preferred mode of transport. And it has been for a long time. Um, and so there's a kind of, there's a, there's an unspoken kind of um, understanding that when you arrive somewhere on a motorcycle, they can, you know, tells you a lot about the who you are as a person, it tells them a lot about who you are as a person. And um, there's a certain admiration about that. Um, and there's a cer certainly a, a lot of envy around the motorcycles that you arrive on because they're usually, um, you know, a little bit more 
fancy, a little bit more well-made than the, the, the locals uh, and their bikes, what they're riding around on. Yeah, you make an interesting point about motorcycle being the predominant mode of transportation for maybe most of China, right. which we don't really get a good sense of here in Chengdu because mm -hmm. in Chengdu, Chengdu is kind of atypical uh, because motorcycles are banned inside the city. That's right. So it's very rare that you see motorcycles in the city. Whereas if you go to Chongqing, which is just 90 minutes away by bullet train, mm -hmm. the roads are dominated by motorcycles. And this is kind of what the roads look like in most of Chinese smaller cities or towns. Motorcycles everywhere. That's right. Um, Chongqing is the motorcycle capital uh, in terms of the motorcycle industry. Uh, that's where a lot of the biggest Chinese manufacturers are based. Um, and yeah, like Chengdu, motorcycles inside the inside the city center are banned. Um, most people tend to use e-bikes. Um, you can't use an e-bike in Chongqing. You know, they call it the mountain city, right? So good luck trying to get up and down a mountain on, on an e-bike. It's just not going to happen. What's your feelings on uh, e-bikes? Do you ride e-bikes? Have you ever done that? Do you feel like there's a, a great divide between motorcycles and e-bikes? Or is there some commonality between them in your mind? Um, I've, ne I've never owned one. Um, I have been on the back of one or two in my time. Um, I've fallen off one or two in my time. And I think, you know, motorcyclists, um, especially the community here, we tend to kind of look down on the e-bike uh, riders a lot. You know, it's like um, it's like riding a bike with training wheels, you know. There's no, there's no combustion going on, right? There's nothing to get the pulse racing. But I think that as the technology develops, it's it's the same thing with cars. You know, um, a lot of petrol heads they kind of turn their nose up at a Tesla. Um, but as you can see, the technology develop. I think it's something to definitely keep your eye on. You know, I was watching like some random YouTube video the other day, and some guy had the uh, the fastest ever electric motorcycle. And it was like you know, not to one hundred speed. It was like something like two seconds. It's a ridiculous piece of engineering. Now, of course, you can't buy one of those on Taobao, um, but you know, there's some really cool looking e-bikes coming out. So it's I wouldn't rule them out completely at all. That's a very forward thinking answer to that question. That's really good because <laughs> when you started to answer that question, I was nodding and thinking I feel exactly the same way. I've had motorcycles in China starting over 10 years ago, mm. and I've never owned an e-bike. I would never consider buying one. Mm -hmm. I have a bicycle, and that's my main mode of transportation. Right. And I feel like real deal motorcycle or bicycle, nothing in between. Right. But you are right that going into the future, a lot of these conventions have to be mm. rethought and, and approached in a different way since maybe electric motorcycles will will overtake you know traditional combustion motorcycles in the future because it's a faster more fun more economical less maintenance yep. you know alternative yeah like and you know the petrol heads argument of uh you know why would you own a tesla when you can own a ferrari you know you really feel that um you know the me the mechanics of it all i get that um but you know it's just the way that the world seems to be leaning nowadays. Man, if you've ever been in a Tesla going from zero to just pedal to the metal. Ludicrous I, mode, right? Yeah, that'll change your mind. That'll change anyone's mind. Yep. Any any like motorhead who's in a Tesla and experiences that and doesn't mm -hmm. have their mind changed, I'd just be shocked to see that. Yeah, I've never been on one. Uh, never been in one, sorry. I'd love to... Um have the opportunity to try one out one day. Um, Just for gags, I was with my sister in the United States a couple months ago, and we went to test drive a couple Teslas. And right. part of the test drive includes going under the highway through a toll road. Right. And you pay the toll, and you go through, and the car stops completely. Okay. And they say, okay, just like jam it. And you just pedal to the metal, and it's like 
not like any car like you've ever been in. Right. It's that fast. Anyway, I'm sure that kind of change is coming to motorcycles. And China may be one of the first places to adopt that kind of change, considering how we've seen such a transition from uh, automobiles and motorcycles into e-bikes. Yeah, dude. Um, like, So the first thing with the e-bikes, I think you know it's not perfect. And there's no regulation or licensing when it comes to e-bikes which makes you know the road a very dangerous place to be um you you know anybody can just walk up buy an e-bike and off they go and that's kind of a recipe for disaster so that needs looking at i think um but you know i was recently back in the uk and we don't have e-bikes or anything like that but what we do have is like um these mobility scooters you know for disabled people and I've noticed um, since since previous visits how these mobility scooters are starting to look more and more like the e-bikes that we see around uh, in in Chengdu and in China right now, and it's only a matter of time I think before they do make it kind of you know overseas. You know the legal question which you raise is a really good one. Tell us a little bit about what's the process with navigating the legal structure of China as a motorcyclist. How many motorcyclists in China who are expats do you think are breaking the law? How much of a danger is that? What's the process to get legal and how has that changed over time? Right. Well, as we know, with most things here, the regulations can change on a daily basis. So we're always dealing with that. Luckily, with with regards to getting a motorcycle license, it seems to have been kind of pretty well established. Um, one thing with regards to that is it can change uh, from city to city and province to province. So, you know, if you're listening to this in Shanghai, the rules might be a little bit different there. But generally speaking, if you have a motorcycle license from your home country and you have a visa that's valid for, I believe, at least six months, but I think there's some flexibility on that. Um, you can get your home country license translated. Um, you'll need to submit copies of passport and visa and uh the housing registration form, basic documents that everyone who lives it has. Um, and yeah, just go down to the local DMV with Chengdu it, out here at Sachipu um, and be prepared to spend a good half a day to a day um, getting all that translated. Now, it can be a little bit difficult obtaining the motor, Chinese motorcycle-specific license. Um, if you can, if you have a car and motorcycle license, then it's much easier because the 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 computer test that you have to sit when you're getting a Chinese license um, is in English for the car license. And if you go through that process, then they'll grant you car and motorcycle license if that's what it says on your home license. Um, but if you only have a motorcycle license, then, well, unfortunately, they don't have that test in English, which raised quite a few eyebrows at the local DMV when I went down there. So now, you were in the situation where you had a motorcycle license, but not a car license. And that's so correct. You were facing just the Chinese test. That's right. And my me, my Chinese reading is, you know, it's, it's terrible. I'll be I honest. mean, the, the <laughs> test is difficult, even just in English. Yeah. You know, Chinglish. I mean, because, in Chinglish. Exactly. Yeah. That's an important correction to make. It's entirely Chinglish. Yeah. I mean, also, not only is it Chinglish, it's not written in clear, straightforward English, but they also throw in hooks to try to mess you up. Yep. So the combination of having tricks plus not being accurate English makes it really difficult. That's right. Now, I do believe that in in, in um, the big um, tier one cities like Beijing and Shanghai, they do have that test in English. And so this is a, something that I raised with um, 
you know what it's like in China when you're dealing with any kind of bureaucratic system. You're always just kind of passed on to the next station until eventually someone has to tell you no. Um, well, I was um, trying to obtain my motorcycle license and at every stage of the process, submitting documents, having them checked, I was always asking, um, you got the motorcycle test in English, right? Yeah, of course you got the test in English, of course. And then until it comes time to actually sit down at the computer to take the test, uh, and they're like, oh, no, sorry, we don't have it in, in, in English. I knew that. Um, so I'd brought my friend, a, a local guy, um, who I said, I kind of started kicking up a little bit of a fuss at that point, which is what you need to do here sometimes, right? Um, and so I spoke with the boss and he didn't know what to do. So I spoke with his boss and his reaction was like, we don't have the test in English, really? I was like, yes. And according to the official government website, it says that if you do not have the test in English, then a translator must be provided. And he was like, okay. Took one look at my friend. He was like, can you do the translating? And he was like, Sure, okay. So we sat down, and um, at the second attempt, I luckily passed the test and uh, got my license. I think I was the first person in Chengdu to successfully receive a motorcycle-only driving license. Wow, when was that? That was, um, I want to say maybe around three or four years ago now. How? What is the um, origin of the Guzzlers WeChat group, which you started for motorcyclists here? How, how many years does that go back? I think that goes back to pretty much my first year in China when I first started seriously considering a motorcycle as a form of transport. I, uh, full disclosure, uh, I spent the first 18 months riding in here completely illegally, didn't have a license. Uh, no one I knew had a license that were riding bikes as well. Me so. too. Me too. I was riding motorcycles way back, 2006 to 2009. And mm -hmm. I have an American motorcycle license, and right. I had before then, and I never had a Chinese license ever, right. and nobody I knew really had one either. Mm -hmm. But on the issue of legality, one of the recurring topics of discussion in your WeChat group is people who are avoiding legal troubles or encountering police on the streets, mm -hmm. especially cops who are pulling over motorists, especially they're looking for expats in particular, mm -hmm. checking their license and so on. Since you've gotten your motorcycle license and you've gone legit, have you encountered many police or do you feel like there is a growing sense of this being policed? Um, to a certain extent, I think the way that things usually work here is that pressure is applied from above um, and that pressure is felt on the streets, but it's kind of periodic. It comes in waves. Um, I do think there's, there is an overall kind of push to, you know, police it a lot more, but, um, I think it's going to be a long time before we see people not riding a bike here because they don't have a license. Right. You know, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, lots of people, that live here, I think, have spent a lot of time traveling in places like Southeast Asia, Thailand, where you can just go up and get a bike and just pay the money and just ride around. And, you know, if you get caught, you pay the money, right? Um, and they kind of bring that attitude to here, but they're kind of living here now. And they I don't think people necessarily consider the impact that has on us as a, a foreigner community. Right. Um, me personally, like when I started riding, as I said, I didn't have a, I didn't have a license both here and back home. And so it, it was a decision that I made, like I kind of fell in love with riding bikes. So I 
I was like, right, made the decision, go back to England, get my get my home country license, just because I could see how much better um, and how much easier it was going to make my life. You know, I had big plans sure. to kind of go on long distance trips on the bike in China. And if you're going to do that, you want to be legal. Not only do you want to be legal, I also feel like I noticed this many years ago that although I didn't have a license in China, I mean, people were not really checking for it then. No one right. really seemed to care at the time. Yeah. But I did notice, and I've noticed this in the Guzzler's WeChat group as well, that a lot of expats show up in China, they're interested in motorcycling, they just buy a bike and they just kind of get on the streets, yep. which I think is really, really dangerous. Yep. And we've seen a couple people in the group get, you know, suffer serious injury, yep. spend significant time in the hospital yep. as a result of reckless behavior on yep. motorcycles. I mean, getting on a motorcycle to begin with is you're taking a big risk, no matter where you are. For sure. And in China, it's almost like double risk because yep. the roads in China are just... I assume that most people who are listening to this podcast are living in China or have been to China before. Right. But if you listen to this and you haven't been to China, the roads here are probably not like anything you've ever seen. <laughs> it's just total mayhem, completely unpredictable behavior all the time. Yep. Um, there's no sense of, you know, look out for your fellow motorists. No. So it's constantly like watch your own back. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable on a motorcycle, if you can't navigate the road, if you can't control your bike, control yourself, then you're really putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, you know, and at the end of the day, that um, you know, you can you can buy a driving license here. You know, let's be straight. And anywhere that you can do that means that you're going to encounter motorists that don't really know what they're doing. So, you know, it's not an ideal place to learn how to operate a motorcycle, a machine that can you know put a very swift end to your life, even if you're riding it in the safest place in the world. You know, no so doubt. it is it is a real um, roll of the dice. Have you ever had any dangerous or scary situations on a motorcycle in China? Um, yeah, I've, I've, I had one pretty nasty spill on, um, I was, I was heading towards a place called Durga, which is right on the Tibetan border proper. And the accident I had couldn't have been in a worse place. We'd just come over about a 5,500 meter mountain pass and it was about a hundred kilometer stretch of road between the top of the mountain and the Tibetan border. Now, of course, um, for those of you that don't know, like there are travel restrictions in place for foreigners and you can't just go into Tibet. You need papers and, uh, and permissions and things like that. So our plan was just to ride up to the border and then kind of drive north towards Qinghai and just follow the, the country roads that way. And this stretch of road, man, it was just, it was beautiful it was empty it was well sealed i mean say what you want about the chinese but they can build a road and they can build it quick and this was just a gorgeous winding mountain valley road by crystal it was like being in switzerland or somewhere alpine forests and i was just enjoying it a little bit too much um and I was, you know, we we hadn't seen another vehicle on the road in quite some time. So we were kind of using the entire road rather than just our lane when we're when cornering. And I was doing, I was doing that. And I, unfortunately, there was a vehicle coming in the opposite direction. And so I had to quickly course correct, and it caused me to high side, flipped me off the bike, and I ended up upside down in a ditch with the bike on top of me. Um, wasn't knocked unconscious, but I was, you know, I was feeling it. I was hurt. Luckily, I was wearing all the protective gear, so I was de dealing with bruising rather than breaks. 
my left hand, which is my clutch hand, obviously was really badly beat up. I could barely operate the clutch. Um, but I was just thankful to kind of come out of it with just bumps and bruises. It was funny though, like there's there's a few photos of um, me, my friends who were also on the trip and a bunch of monks just pulling pulling the motorcycle out of the ditch there. Um, but I was really lucky because of the specific location of the accident. If I'd have needed hospital treatment, it would have meant... Um, a helicopter ride to the nearest hospital, which was a couple of hundred kilometers away. There's no way an ambulance is getting over that mountain pass because it was like really rocky, you know, like it was unpaved and it was a bit of a mess, to be honest. So I'd have been looking at a hefty hospital bill. So I was came out of that feeling really lucky and decided to never, you know, use two lanes again. Wow, good thing you were wearing your protective gear yeah, man. in that situation. That sounds like a beautiful road. That's great to hear that description of that. Gorgeous. What are some of the other best places or best experiences you've had in China on a motorcycle? Any regions or roads or areas in particular? All of it, man. Like you said earlier, everywhere between the cities. Um, we once went on a trip from Chengdu um, and we were aiming to get to Xishuangbana down on the Lao kind of Burmese border. You know, there's a highway that goes straight down there and you can't legally take highways in some parts of China on a motorcycle. But, you know, after eight o'clock, you can kind of jump on there and no one really is too concerned. The roads are kind of quiet. So you can do that. But we decided to take all the back roads um, and just hitting those small towns and villages and kind of, you know, staying in 20 quiet night hotel rooms, you know, where the locals will just kind of, you know, treat you to dinner. Like I remember one night, um, we were a little bit anxious um, because we'd had a few experiences where we, we like, there was some kind of tensions in the area and, you know, um, some places you can go where that are a bit sensitive and they don't like foreigners being around there, which is fair enough. So we, we were coming off the back of a couple of um, those experiences. So we were, we were quite nervous about, um, you know, checking into this little place, but they were super nice. And the, the mayor came and met us with a <laughs> bottle of Baijo. Uh, and they cooked us a plate of mealworms and a plate of ants uh, and just all these like weird local delicacies and just got us really drunk and had a great time, you know. Uh, and that was just some kind of some tiny little town that you wouldn't even pick out on a map, you know, but you just have these great experiences. So, I mean, you know, I can give advice on general regions. I mean, Western Sichuan is great. Um, Qinghai is beautiful if you can cope with the altitude. Xinjiang is just like a postcard. But, you know, anywhere you go, you're going to have amazing experiences. You know, the, this country is really built. It's, it's amazing to travel on a motorcycle. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's such a good endorsement of motorcycling in China. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I've never ridden a motorcycle in Xinjiang or in Tibet. Mm. Western Sichuan obviously is famous all around the world. It's the foothills of the Himalayas. Yep. And at, in Chengdu, we're very close to that. Yep. I think that a lot of people who visit Chengdu kind of feel like, oh, it's kind of a flat gray place. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like known for its beauty. Yep. But if you go just on the outskirts of Chengdu, you get into some really world-class landscape especially to the west of Chengdu. Yeah, man. I mean, like, we've got, like, a, a couple of favorite camping spots that are on a motorcycle, less than an hour and a half ride away, and you're in National Park with, you know, beautiful mountains, and, you know, you just completely leave the city behind. You don't have to go far to have a good time on a bike here. Yeah, that leads perfectly into my next question, which is, what are some of your favorite rides, like, in the vicinity of Chengdu? Um, so there's a really popular, like, 
So when I first started riding bikes in China, I was I didn't really know any other foreigners that were into riding bikes. Um, so I was just riding with some of the local guys. And at that time, it was all the CQR 250 dirt bikes, which is like the cheapest like um, assembled dirt bike you can find. A bit of a death trap, I'll be honest, but a lot of fun if that's you know your only means of transport and you're young. So we always used to ride up to Longchuen Mountain. Um, that was like the go-to kind of hangout. You'd ride up the mountain and there's like a little biker bar at the top of that and you'd kind of, you know, have a beer or a cup of tea or whatever and then ride back down and the ride up the mountain was really, really nice. But as that grew in popularity over the years, not just with motorcyclists, but also with what well, the phrase we use in England is like boy racers. They kind of they'll get like, you know, like a like a Honda and they'll like, you know, jazz it up and like, you know, put a loud exhaust on it and they'll race their cars and stuff. So with that kind of scene in Chengdu, those guys started getting interested in Long Trim Mountain. So, you know, it didn't take long for the police to get um to clamp down on that and put some speed bumps, you know, because people were hurting themselves, you know. Um, so I don't blame them for doing that. So that kind, that scene kind of died off the the late night rides to Long Chuen Mountain. Uh, we often go up to places like um, Du Jiangyan, just up past the Du Jiangyan uh, Dam, which is a really cool thing place to visit. Uh, there's a national park called Hongkou, um, which you know is really accessible and it's a great place to just go and explore on a bike for a day you can get you can you know if you go early in the morning you can be there and back in the day usually we'll like to camp or if the weather's not too good there's like cheap uh, guest houses you can stay at and you know um those type of guest houses usually they'll barbecue you a chicken or something like that you've usually got great um authentic food up there as well so yeah do jang yen uh if you're feeling a bit more adventurous if you've got a few more days you can go to four sisters mountain Chin Chin Chan, places like that. Have you ever gone south down to Ebin, the bamboo forest down there? You know, I've tried to get to Ebin. It must be about half a dozen times. Um, but every time I've gone, we've either had run into problems with the bikes or the weather's turned or for some, whatever reason, we just haven't ended up getting there. Um, it, it is still on my list of places to visit because apparently it's beautiful. Is it easy to buy motorcycles here or what's the process like? Let's say someone is interested in riding a motorcycle or getting a license. What's the process like as far as getting a bike here? So if someone asks me, um, or you know, this question gets asked many times in the WeChat group, like, um, want to buy a bike? First question is, what's your budget? All right, Cause your budget dictates everything. Um, if you are not, you know, on a, if you are on a, quite a tight budget, then realistically you're looking at um, a Chinese brand motorcycle. You can get foreign imported bikes here. KTM have a dealership. Ducati have a dealership. BMW you can get here as well. But they're subject to the luxury import tax, so you're paying top dollar for that. Um, and most people uh, can't afford that. I, I know I can't. Um, so we're basically reduced to either second-hand gray, gray area, gray legal bikes or the Chinese manufactured bikes. And, you know, the Chinese motorcycle industry certainly have made a lot of improvements since I've been here. You know, there are some bikes uh, available now that are really, really tidy looking bikes. Um, they've just released a new one. I forget the name of the brand. It's, it's a new company. I've never heard of it before, but they've just released like a 500cc. I want to say it's a single or a parallel twin engine, fuel-injected and adventure bike, and it just... You know, it looks every bit of a motorcycle sat next to a BMW 800 or 1200 GS, you know. Um, 
So to buy something like that, it's actually relatively straightforward. You just, when you buy it, you need to make sure that um, you get all the necessary um, tax receipts from the person that you buy it from because it's those receipts that you're going to need later down the line when you come to getting the bike registered. So as long as you just um, either take a local person with you when you're buying it, someone that knows what they're doing, or you know, try and reach out to one of the one of our community, and um, you know, we'll be able to point you in the right direction. There, there are there are various uh, certificates that you should be given when purchasing a bike from a dealership here if it's new. Um, I think one of them is a certificate of emissions compliance um, and all the other necessary paperwork but once you've got all that again back to the dmv you're going to need half a day to go through the motions of that but it's uh that's you're going to need to pay the tax on the vehicle there which can be anything i think it's maybe up to 10 percent of the value of the vehicle um, and that's going to need to be paid at the dmv but you will come away with a license plate that day Good info. Did you ever meet the other American Carl who was the expat motorcyclist here in Chengdu? I did not. No, I think he left just before I arrived. Uh, but I have watched all of his uh, things that are available. I believe he's got a few videos available on YouTube. I remember I, I one of my first motorcycle trips was taken uh, on a old Chingchi 200, which I believe was his preferred bike. And I remember riding that thing and it was like, it's like a dirt bike. Um, for a 200cc incredibly underpowered as those early Chinese models are. And I remember reading his blog of him and his girlfriend, two up, uh, <laughs> taking that bike, I think they went all the way to Xinjiang with all his camera gear. And this is like 90s camera gear, right? So it's heavy stuff. So he did that trip two up with all of their luggage plus camera gear. I'm like, I'm surprised like he managed to get out of Sichuan like it must have taken so long on that bike because you know when you're riding at altitude you're losing a lot of power on those bikes because it runs off a carburetor rather than fuel injection so god only knows how long it took him but he did it and you know that to his credit yeah so he was a very um internet savvy guy who is an american guy who actually from my area of washington dc district right we were friends he actually helped me recover my dirt bike when it got stuck on Qingchanshan during the 2008 Sichuan earthquake. But uh, he ended up marrying her, having a kid, went back to the States. He, I think he bought a um, adventure riding magazine in right. the United States. And he also started a website, mychinamoto.com, yep. which I have to give a plug to. He His website is one of the uh, best resources for information on Chinese bikes in particular. Yep. It's a discussion forum, I'm pretty sure with millions of posts, and people from all around the world discussing... Um, maintenance and modification and use of various Chinese motorcycles. And to reiterate what you just said, Chinese motorcycles have just gotten so much better yep. in the last five years in particular, I'd say. It used to be that they were previously just sort of in vastly inferior clones and knockoffs of mm -hmm. um, Western and Japanese bikes. Right. And now they are not so inferior clones and knockoffs. Well, I mean, yeah, they still got a ways to go, let's be honest. But um, they have come on leaps and bounds. I mean, the way that, um, you know, these integrated business deals happen in China means that often um, 
you know, a manufacturer like KTM is going to share some factory space with a local manufacturing company like Shinrei, which is one of the better Chinese models. Um, and so, you know, they're just going to learn from each other, which is only good news for Chinese bikes. Um, yeah, and also I reiterate that plug of my China Moto in the early days. You know, um, it definitely was the the go-to. And I remember cruising those forums back in the day. and It was just, you know, a lot of... This is kind of pre-WeChat, isn't it? That, that, that yeah. forum. Um, so it was the resource for any any foreigner that was in any way interested in or had any questions about motorcycles in China. Um, but what's interesting now, when you look at that form, as the Chinese motorcycle industry has grown into like a you know a, a worldwide um, industry, is um, you know you find lots of dudes on that on that forum from the states or from France or from you know places around Europe trying to source parts or asking recommendations about yeah. So I've got this. Shinnery 250 dirt bike here in Wisconsin, and I need I need this part, and exactly. who can get it? You know, so it's, it's that like I thought that that forum would kind of I thought WeChat might spell the end of that forum, but because of the growth of the industry, it's actually becoming more popular. Yeah, those people probably don't know what WeChat is. Right. <laughs> They're yeah. not in China; they have no clue about WeChat. They're right. just like, hey, the instruction manual for my bike's in Chinese. Does anybody <laughs> know how to read this? It's just like trying to yeah. find answers to these sort of you know, bizarre situations where they're like, well, could have gotten a Yamaha for like $10,000, but instead I got a Chinese bike for like $3,000. And 7000 to spend on a massive motorcycle trip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, great to give him a plug. It's kind of a funny coincidence that the, the English Carl comes to be the successor of the American Carl. Both of you have been like very influential figures in the uh, expat motorcycling scene here. Well, I wouldn't quite go, go as far as to say that, you know, um, I just one day, like in the very early days of WeChat groups, I figured, you know, it'd probably be a good idea to get um, a group of motorcycle people together just so we can help each other out um, with any questions regarding legality, like riding, organized riding, um, you know, days out on the bike or whatever. But um, yeah, I, um, I'm just one part of that, you know, like it, it's the community that feeds itself when it comes to that stuff. Um, I'm not a very present group moderator in that group. I don't feel like I need to be because as I said at the start of the podcast, you know, motorcyclists, wherever kind of, um, they look out for each other, you know? So whenever a question is posed in that group, often it's, it's answered before I even have a chance to read it. Well put, well put. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the subject of motorcycling in China before we wrap this up? Um, I'd say to those of you that um, haven't had the opportunity to ride a bike in China or to those of you that just use a bike to maybe commute from home to work or to get around the town or whatever, really you should take the chance to get out of the city and, and, and see this country because it is, it's never a dull moment. It's not always easy, let's be honest. Um, but those are always the best stories, right? So if you do have the means, then please try your best to get out and see some of this country because it's unlike any experience you'll ever have. Still, to this day, you can go places where they've never seen a foreigner and, you know, how many places in the world can you say that about? Well said. Thanks for joining me. No worries. Thanks for having me. 